Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 8th, 2020, including Xbox showed off a slew of games this week for the Xbox Series X as part of their Xbox 2020 initiative. Xbox subscription services are way up. Everyone is doing their own E3 alternative now, and a whole bunch more news because this week was crazy in terms of Xbox information. It's hard to even know where to begin on a week like this when you got so much crap happening. It's like there's an entire regular week's worth of news aside from the Inside Xbox that took place just today, uh, the day of this recording, Thursday, May 7th. Of course, it will go live for you tomorrow, uh, Friday the 8th. And as a side note, I would just like to thank you all for your patience. As I know earlier in the week, I had to announce the delay of this week's episode to accommodate the Inside Xbox that just took place. Depending on where you fall in terms of how well how well Microsoft did or didn't do with this presentation, you may uh, it may be a delay that wasn't worth the wait. But nonetheless, here we are. We're doing our regular week show. Tons and tons of info to get into, so we'll ju- we'll jump right in. Uh, I don't like to cut out regular segments just to accommodate an extensive news week, so we will jump into our comments, shoutouts, everything from this week that you guys had to say. I actually pared it down because there were there were some tirades that happened this week, so we'll just kind of focus on some. Some key points, pretty much all surrounding one story. Our first comment, Mr. Dead Captain James, the one and only, he says, I really hope that they are making a new IP. In This is in, in regards to the story last week about the initiative, working on Perfect Dark. He says, if not, then I really hope they make Perfect Dark much more than it used to be. If they just make another shooter, the internet will run them through the mud. Well, Dead Captain James, if, if you could only see one week into the future, you would know that today Xbox is certainly being run through the mud. Uh, Our next comment, in regards to the same story, my brother goes in, we might have to skim through this one, he wrote wrote us a little novella. He says, I agree with the concerns over the initiative. Perfect Perfect Dark is an IP that holds no sway for me, and I've been playing games my entire life. Um, By the way, he's seven years old, so that's seven years of gaming. So for your average Joe, uh, this will literally mean nothing. I would expect the next gaming revolution to be something original or whatever. That being said, I have to imagine that it's complete reimagining of the franchise. I suspect it will look a lot more like the recent Deus Ex games than the old Perfect Dark titles. I mean this in that the game will have a similar world and plot, but will probably be more RPG-like in that there are more solutions to each problem and dialogue options and that kind of stuff. Maybe the initiative will impress me with the Perfect Dark, but I'm very disappointed that this is the d- direction they are going with. I find it difficult to believe that they're going to build uh, the game in Unreal Engine, as 343 has just made a new Halo engine. Uh, I had always assumed that this was going to be the engine for all giant first-party Xbox titles this generation. I share your feeling that it is hard to see something as being... Uh, this big of a departure from gaming as we know it, while it uses the most used engine in gaming. I hope the leaks are incorrect. So I agree with my brother a lot on this because, yeah, again, I, I won't get in too into the weeds on it because it's just as simple as this. You know, Dead Captain James kind of touch t- kind of touches on it. My brother kind of touches on it. Perfect Dark is just not an IP you can 
I'll, I'll put it in context like this because the best analog for it really is God of War. I hate to keep always drawing the parallels between Sony and Microsoft, but you just got to sometimes. And God of War is the perfect analog for this, is it not? Because you got a franchise that's a really beloved PlayStation franchise. It's hack and slash. Uh, it has story to it uh, in whether you think it's good or not, but it's 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 a story that isn't super emotional and isn't something people really cling on to and think, oh my god, I, I can't. I can't wait to find out what happens next in Kratos' adventure. Yet, Sony Santa Monica was able to take that character and take that world they'd built and evolve it into something new with the kind of soft reboot of the 2018 God of War game where they said, okay, let's fast forward a bunch of years so we can focus on a new story. He's got a son now. We're in a new place. Everything's different. The game's totally different. We've matured it and we've advanced it and built it into something truly boundary-pushing and next generation. And that's what they did with God of War. So, in theory, yes, this can be done. Do I think the initiative has that up their sleeve with Perfect Dark? It's hard to say because Perfect Dark didn't even have the cachet that God of War had before it got its respective reboot, you know, assuming that this that this reboot is a thing. So it's just like, how do you take the story of Perfect Dark and God of War 2018, that game, you know? And aside from that, God of War was made in proprietary a proprietary engine. And we'll get into the engine conversation right now, but... Again, if you're going to make a revolutionary quadruple A first party game, you're going to use your own tech. You're not going to use Unreal Engine. So, so Lethal Migraine chimes in in the same conversation. In, in speaking of the the engine they're using for this game, uh, allegedly, he says, "I get your Perfect Dark complaint, but I don't understand your Unreal complaint. A lot of great games are have and are using that engine." So I come back with this. You know, my point is to make something of quadruple A quality, you usually need your own engine design from the ground up to cater to the specific vision of your game. That's the reason why games like Halo and Forza have their own engines. I said I should have clarified that on the podcast. Lethal Migraine comes back with, yo, Jesse, you stupid fat piece of shit. No, he says Halo wouldn't need its own engine. Makes sense a racer would. There's no reason to waste time making an engine when Unreal does what they need it to do. Now, before I progress, this is a fair point in a general sense, right? Uh, Halo does need its own engine because it needs to feel like what Halo feels like, which is a, a a arena shooter that feels unlike any shooter in the entire world still this day, even though the first-person shooter genre is such a massive genre. But that's aside from the point. Um, but he says there's no re- reason wasting time making a new engine when Unreal does what they need it to do. This makes sense just from the simple fact that, yeah... Um, I think the initiative, it's a brand new studio. They're, they're trying to get their footing. They're trying to figure out what project they're going to work on. Trying to reveal that studio and then get a game out of them is already going to take long enough as it is without them having to make a proprietary engine. So I do understand that that sentiment that it's like, if you're Microsoft, why do you want to invest even more time and money telling the studio to go away for two years and develop an engine before they can even get to work on their first game? So I get that. But again, they're touting this as a quadruple A studio. They need to go from the ground up and build something specific to that game. But let's continue on. So I say to Lethal Migraine, Halo has its own engine because it needs its own engine. That's why Infinite is getting a rebuilt engine and not Unreal 4. Not trying to discredit Unreal Engine, I understand it's like the universal best engine for most games, but when you have Microsoft money and you want to create something that entirely new and groundbreaking, you build your own engine to support that. He comes back with, Engine doesn't determine if it's a ground if it's groundbreaking or not, true. It comes down to the developers. All the Gears of War games use it, use Unreal, Hellblade 1 and 2 use Unreal, and the Arkham games use Unreal. Mass Effect trilogy used it, Rocket League, 
is is made in Unreal. Obviously, Fortnite is. Tetris Effect, industry-changing games. My favorite game ever, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, also is made in Unreal. It's very flexible and customizable. Totally agree. That's why so many people use it. It's, it's affordable, it's accessible, and it's very, very robust. I get that. But guess what? I come back with, I agree that it doesn't determine whether or not the game is groundbreaking. But again, usually big-budget games from well-funded studios make their own engines to, that support their own games. Many of the games you just listed were developed as smaller indie games or double-A games with little financial support. Gears of War is made in Unreal because it was created by Epic, the, the, the people that made Unreal. The same reason why Fortnite is made in Unreal. Again, you're right that it doesn't necessarily mean one for the other. I'm just saying that all these things are adding up and beginning to make me mildly apprehensive about what the initiative is up to. Again, it's that... It, it, so let's put it like this. It, if, if not for anything, the reason why you make your own engine is because... Making your own engine is a way of saying, hey, this is our big dick swinging, highest quality studio, and this is the engine they built. We believe their games and their talent and their aptitude and their vision is so pronounced and so distinguished that they need their own engine to make it. That's what you do with a studio like this. This is why Sony Studios use their own engine. This is why Halo uses its own engine, is because when you're trying to make a distinguished, highest budget possible game, you use your own technology to do it, but the, when you use Unreal, it's usually because you're a smaller developer or money's tight or you're, you're trying to churn out a game. That's why most of these games are like AA games or smaller indie games, and it's not to discredit these games. These are fantastic games, but let's not act like Tetris Effect pushed the boundaries of what gaming can be for its technical fidelity because it didn't. Let's not pretend, you know, Hellblade pushed the boundaries of technical fidelity in a video game because it didn't. It did push the boundaries of video games in terms of some of its narrative technology and some of its just the way it's played out and its story content, which, you know, there's many, many ways you can iterate on a game and, and, and innovate in the in this industry without just having a powerful and intricate engine. But again, when you're trying to make a quadruple A game, you're going to make it a top tier experience from top to bottom in all disciplines of art. And you need your own proprietary engine to really cater to that specific... Again, it's just one of those things. It's like you compound the idea of like remaking something like A Perfect Dark with using something like someone else's engine instead of your own. And it's just like, what are you doing? These are not the foundational elements of creating a quadruple A game. You know, these are the elements of creating, you know, getting a B team to revive an old franchise to see if it'll work. That's that's what it looks like they're doing. So it's just it's just conflicting, that's all. So that's our massive long start here. We'll kind of pummel through this other opening segments before we jump into our massive news slew this week. Uh, so, of course, we're going to talk about what I've been playing next. But before I can tell you that, I just got to tell you what I've been eating. And, and boy, is it, not, is it not inspiring. It's just everything's closed. It's still... I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a pandemic going around, which is making it quite difficult to enjoy delicious food. Um, but I have spent a lot of time this week thinking about restaurants. You know, I talk about theme parks. I slip in here and there that I love theme parks. And a lot of people in, in the theme park community, they think it's all about the attractions and the theming and this and that. And, and they spend all day running in circles arguing about stupid shit. Uh, about roller coasters and dark rides, but really the reason why theme parks and, and uh, themed resorts and things like that are so uh, so beloved is because of, of course, you know their destination dining, their their restaurants, their hotels that offer restaurants, their shopping districts with restaurants, their theme park restaurants. That's what I really care about in this world. And I've just had a couple of restaurants on my mind, uh, particularly ones at Disney World. Um, just shout out to. 
uh, Yachtsman Steakhouse. Shout out to The Wave over at Disney's Contemporary Resort. Sebastian's Bistro over at... Um, at Caribbean Beach Resort, which I've still been meaning to get around to. Just a bunch of good restaurants that I really wish I could go spend money I don't have at to go to go and have a nice dinner. But aside from the typical financial restraints, now we're having the compounded effect of these restaurants are not open. Therefore, I cannot support them with my wallet or my stomach. And that is heart-wrenching. And just want to do a moment of silence for all the theme park restaurants, uh, bad ones included, that are no longer available to the public due to the COVID-19. And then we'll jump in, of, of course, we'll, we'll, without without skipping a beat, what I've been playing. I wrapped up Sleeping Dogs. Don't have much to say about it. Um, I think the story does pick up a little bit in that latter half, that that third act. Um, it's pretty cool. There's some like, ugh, like gut-wrenching moments and like like uh, queasy, gory things that happen. It's one of those games that's not afraid to kill absolutely every character, but it's um, it's it's fine. Definitely a game where you can tell the focus was the world they built, not so much the game they built in that world. Um, so it, it seems like a game like a sequel could have gone a long way, but as we all know, Sleeping Dogs is never getting a sequel, and that's kind of an unfortunate thing, but I, I uh, it was fine. It's a fun game. The combat's not great. It, it definitely needed a second go-around to make it a go from a decent game to a great game but nonetheless glad i played it glad i finally got that ticked off the list and now i i know what the kids were talking about when they said sleeping dogs was underrated because i don't get it then i i thought this week you know would be a good week to finally jump back into the halo franchise i like to try to replay every halo game once a year if i can uh last year i only replayed four or five reach and yeah that was it i think Four, five, and Reach were the only ones I replayed last year. So I, um, I've been wanting to go back, especially and play the original Bungie games, go through the one through three plus uh, ODST games. Um, so I started with Halo Combat Evolved this week. I got about halfway through it. Always a good game. It's Combat Evolved really is like one of those like Super Mario Bros. type games where it's like those first few levels are just so iconic. You pick it up. And you can play it with your eyes closed. You just know where to go, where everything's located, uh, what enemies pop up where, what dialogue sequences happen where. It's just it's just one of those iconic, classic games. I mean, obviously, Halo Combat Evolved is one of the great games of all time, but it's just uh, such such a delight every time. It never ceases to be fun. That being said, Combat Evolved, not, not the best Halo game. People really need to blow, need to roll back their nostalgia boners and, and accept the fact that Halo 3 was the best of the original trilogy. It just was. Suck it. Halo 2 is probably the weakest of the of the five mainline Halos, although I love every single one of them, but let's be honest. But anyway, that's I've been playing some Halo. I might actually put that on ice because I, I realized halfway through it that I kind of want to keep playing new games. I've been on a good roll lately of playing a bunch of new games and knocking out some of my backlog, so I might actually jump into Ori in the Blind Forest next. But speaking of jumping into things, let's jump into this massive... Newsweek, including an inside Xbox that showed us the very first gameplay footage of Xbox Series X games. Uh, so, yeah. All right. So today at the time of this recording is Thursday the 7th. Uh, earlier today at 11 a.m., Microsoft went live with their with their inside Xbox showing off the first gameplay footage we've seen of games running on Xbox Series X. Um, but before we jump right into that, I should say, you know, this was announced in kind of a quick succession. There's a bunch of little news stories uh, released, but basically Microsoft came out and said, hey, we're starting this initiative. It's called 
uh, Xbox 2020, like 20 slash 20. And, and it's basically this reoccurring series they're going to be rolling out over the course of the year. They're basically saying, we've got a shit ton of news leading up to the Xbox Series X, a bunch of new games, so much to share with you. Rather than doing one big E3 substitute in June, we're just going to roll out like little chunks of like little Nintendo Directs, little Xbox Directs, inside Xboxes, whatever you want to call it, to kind of satiate that E3 demand as well as really keep the hype rolling from, you know, now to the time the console launches this holiday season. So pretty cool idea, right? Instead of just one hour and a half Xbox conference in June and then radio silence till the box comes out, we're going to get, you know, little 30 minute inside Xbox episodes every month. Now, here's the interesting thing is basically they say uh, they, they just instantly talk about the one that happened just today, this week. Uh, which is the one for the month of May. And then they talk about the next one being July. July is the big one where we're going to get the first party stuff. Obviously, today they made it very clear, and I feel like they made it very clear, but people are still bitching that they didn't see Halo, um, that today was about third-party content with with Assassin's Creed, uh, Valhalla kind of being the anchor game for the presentation. But yeah, they said like this is all going to be third-party games, games from our partners working with us on Xbox. So I don't know why people were expecting anything else, but it seems like a lot of people were bummed out that there just wasn't any coverage of exclusives or console games. But they even prefaced the show with saying, like, hey, we know we got 15 studios, they're hard at work. And they even clarified, they're like, they're like, you're going to see uh, Ninja Theory, Double Fine, and, man, what was the last one? Did they say, I mean, I forget what the third studio is, but they said in July, during the first party stream, we're, we show we promise you updates from these specific studios. Um, so we know that stuff's all coming. But the interesting thing is that they left a total gap in the middle of, of May and July, which is a little thing you may have heard of. It's called June. Uh, it's usually the month E3 takes place. And they basically just said, like, nothing about it. Like, there's not going to be a June inside Xbox. So in May, we're going to get third-party games on Series X. In July, we're going to get first-party games on Series X. But in June, question mark. So, you know, what are you going to do for the big month where you normally have E3? You're going to do nothing? I don't don't think so. So anyway, in an interview a few days later with Bloomberg, um, Phil Spencer uh, spoke with them in regards to, you know, this whole Xbox 2020 thing they're doing. And he says, June will, quote, highlight the Xbox platform and services, end quote. Aaron Greenberg, general manager at X, uh, at Xbox uh, Marketing and, and at Microsoft, teases this June of, that there will be a June event, stating, quote, news will be done differently than inside Xbox shows, end quote. So basically, they're saying, ha, there will be a June event, but it's just not going to be an inside Xbox. It's not going to be a little Nintendo Direct sizzle reel of game, 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 games. It's going to be something else. And so that clearly tells you that this is going to be their, remember the May event, in 2013 for the Xbox One, where it's like, here's the stand on stage, show off the box, go in detail. Phil Spencer talks about what it is, pricing, release dates, all the big stuff. I'm taking this as June is that day. June is when they tell us a release date, a price point, new information about the console. Uh, Phil Spencer, you know, maybe he wear, walks on stage in tidy whities and starts kissing you know the ventilation on the console we don't know what happens but this is the big blowout not for the games but for the console itself so obviously it's not going to be a stage event with people present it's going to be a stream event but it's going to be not an inside xbox it's going to be a more traditional general live stream for not the gamers but the audience the 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 mainstream audience the the bloombergs and the and the other marketing partners and media partners and investors and of course you know your retail partners 
partners, your GameStops and your Walmarts and your Best Buys and your Targets to say, this is what we're working on. This is what's coming to store shelves this fall, blah, blah, blah. Um, but of course, you know, there's something in all of this that we're missing. And, and of course, many believe it's the rumored name Series S, the uh, the Anaconda, the smaller Xbox Series X that is lower powered, but still next gen. It's kind of the more entry level priced alternative to the Series X for those who want to jump into next gen, but don't want to spend five, six hundred dollars on a beefy gaming PC console. So many believe that that's when they're going to not only dive deeper into the Series X, but that's also when they'll properly reveal the Series S or Anaconda as it's more commonly referred to as. So obviously none of that is confirmed, but Phil Spencer's words, Aaron Greenberg's words paired with these rumors seem very strong to me. And I'm also in the camp that that's exactly what they have planned. So if you were wondering, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care about games. I just like to buy hardware. I don't give a shit about the games I can play on it. I just want to buy the hardware, unbox the hardware, plug it in, take pictures for Instagram, show my followers that I indeed own a Series X and then use it as a glorified Netflix machine. Well then, yeah, hold it. You're going to find out in June. That's, that's what I believe at least. So With all of that said, we will finally, after 47 minutes of the podcast, jump into what actually happened with the Inside Xbox that happened earlier today. Uh, Yesterday, if you're listening to this podcast, the day it goes live. But here we go. So, So the event was hosted by Aaron Greenberg, Matt Booty, and Damon Baker, who you may recognize from Nintendo. He worked for Nintendo for like 20 years or something and was doing some of those early Nindies events that Nintendo was doing in the early days of the Switch. And then last year he came over to Microsoft and he's doing great. He's looking great. He's uh he's ditched the red and white for the green and black for the Xbox logo. He's he's looking good. He led things. He's got a great personality. He's a great host. And basically there, there are some other Xbox people who I don't know. And they were just uh, kind of shepherding things. They were all streaming from home, of course, opening up with... This isn't about the games, you know, when the most important thing is our is our employees and making sure everyone's safe and at home. These are trying times, yada, yada, yada. Video games. And then they jumped into video games. So here's, here's the thing. Before we jump in exactly what they said and what was shown, I know all week they were saying, see gameplay, gameplay, gameplay. Gameplay was the key word. See gameplay of Xbox Series X games. And they also made it very clear that this was third-party games, partner company games. They even prefaced at the beginning of the show that there would be no first-party stuff. But still, people decided, I'm going to find a way to be miserable about this and get my hopes uh, get my hopes up super high and then and then intentionally have them be smashed. So I will, you know, I'm not I'm not going to completely defend Microsoft on this one because I do think that this show was a little bit of a miss. It wasn't a total knockout um, like we had all hoped, of course. But nonetheless, I don't think it's as bad as the Internet is now saying it is. And if, if you look at what anyone is saying in YouTube comments or on Twitter in general, it's just all shit. It's all just like. Back to 2013, shitting all over Xbox. Xbox is dumb. All PlayStation needs to do is shit out another Spider-Man game, and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. But nonetheless, they they jumped right in and they showed off. They they showed off. Uh, first thing was like this this like list of publishers and partners and studios working on Series X games. This is a trick we've seen before with console launches. I know Nintendo used to do this a lot. It's kind of a way of saying if you think that we do a bad job of of getting games on our hardware, look at this picture that shows a hundred plus icons of game devs and publishers. People are making games for a console. It's just one of those things. It's like, it doesn't really mean anything, but 
but basically every publisher developer you can think of, plus a bunch of indies you never heard of, were all on this list, and they're just promising that these are studios making games for 2020 and 2021 for the Series X, um, and then they went right into showing games. So I, I ripped this all from the Xbox Wire blog, and we're going to kind of read from there on some of these games. Oh, they also, sorry, final last thing before we jump in. They also mentioned that, you know, every every game on Xbox Series X that they showed today will be able to, will all be able to uh, run at 4K resolutions and up to 120 frames per second. Uh, they all feature direct storage, hardware accelerated, direct X ray tracing, the super fast load times, just to you know show that these are specific games taking advantage of the specific uh, assets of the console. They also said that certain games, almost every game they mentioned here, has been confirmed for smart delivery, which is the thing where you know if you buy a game like Cyberpunk on the Xbox One and then you buy a Series X two months later, you can just play Cyberpunk on the Series X and you'll get the updated advanced version of the game. You won't be playing like a dated old school. It's not like back in the day where it's like, oh man, you got Assassin's Creed 4 for the PS3 and then you bought a PS4 and now you got to get the PS4 version of Assassin's Creed Black Flag. It's like, no, it's it's like you bought it on one console and now you get the updated version on the new console as well. You buy the game once, you get all versions of it across older and newer hardware, that kind of thing. And so they made a, they made a huge stink about that. But now we will get into the actual games. The first game they showed is a game called Bright Memory Infinite. So Bright Memory Infinite is a new lightning fast fusion lightning fast fusion of an FPS action game created by FYQD studio. Now this is a game literally made. This is a studio in China made and run and operated by one individual. One guy made this and you know, we've seen games made by one person, you know, Stardew Valley famously made by just one guy, but watch the trailer for this game. This game at least visually is mind blowing to me. Like I, I, again, I know a lot of people were commenting that some of these games didn't look particularly next gen. They didn't look that different from like Xbox one X games, but this game looks amazing. And and what really sold me on it is like, watch the trailer. It's like the amount of like wind and rain and debris and just shit flying around leaves flying everywhere throughout the game, just like in real time, that kind of shit just constantly happening while this guy's running around, grappling enemies, shooting them to death, like slashing them with swords, jumping in air, freeze framing guys and slashing their bodies, jumping into a car, all this shit. And all of like this weather and background noise is just happening constantly. And the game just renders it flawlessly. Now, to be fair, Bright Memory Infinite is actually a game that was technically announced like a year ago, and mostly no one ever noticed it. But you can like go onto the Twitter account for this developer and see that they talked about it like a lot last year, and that they've been pretty open about the game's development forever. But it's just now that we're starting to really see gameplay for it, and. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it runs great. Again, it's really hard to tell how great a game looks when I'm watching the video on my Surface Pro or my Razer phone, and it's like, okay, well, I don't have 4K. Sure, my phone has 120 refresh rate, but I'm watching on YouTube and everything's compressed and fuzzy. You can't really get a sense for what's in 4K, what's at 120 frames, what's, you know, this refresh rate, what's the ray tracing look like, because you can't, you can't really get a feel for that when you're watching a mixer or a Twitch or a YouTube stream on your phone or computer. So it's hard to look at that and be like, wow, they're really taking advantage of all these things when, you know, you kind of got to see it to really understand it. I get that. But if we're just talking purely about like, textures and graphics and things like that yeah i get it like these this game along with pretty much everything we saw today looks like some of the most 
amazing looking games I've ever seen, but not exactly like something I couldn't have ever seen running on an Xbox One X, or at least to my tiny brain and my my un, uncultured eyes. You know, I couldn't have. I could fathom these things, these games running on other hardware that already exists today. So, again, that was something that was criticized a lot. This is kind of what I was getting into last week about the whole, man, I just don't, I don't know what to say about Phil Spencer coming out saying the jump from Xbox One to Series X is going to be like the jump from 2D to 3D. It's like, I think you might be making too bold a claim, although I, I, I have too tiny a brain to really understand if I'm right on that. But I kind of stand by what I said yet last week a little more now, knowing that, you know, we saw these games today and they looked phenomenal. They definitely looked better than anything that runs on my day one Xbox one, but they don't look like, you know, holy shit. I, I didn't know a game could look like this. I, you know, it, it looks like something I may have seen run on a really high end PC on a YouTube video from some nerd that owned a high end PC, not myself. Cause I know better, but it's, I don't know, whatever this is. Again, I'm trying to reserve the judgment on like the way games really look and how next gen it looks until, you know, I have a series X in my living room running on my 4k TV that I don't own and, and really experiencing that for myself. But that, that aside, the game does look stunning. This game in general just looks super badass. Um, it's like, it's like a little bit like futuristic, a little bit like Edo period Japan and it's stormy and cyberpunky and the guy's got future futuristic high tech guns and he's got swords and the enemies have like swords and knight armor and shields and then he calls like a fucking DeLorean looking car in and it's just a really badass looking game and this is definitely a game I'm excited to keep my eyes on but at the same time it's like the fact that the game looks like this and it's being developed by one guy makes me think this game's gonna suck. Like, I don't understand how one person could possibly make this game. So there's got to be some catch. It's either stupid short or he has a team of people working on it with him now or the game's never going to come out because it's going to be like forever in development. I don't know, but like I'm trying to take this game with a grain of salt just based on what it, what was shown today, knowing that one person did all of it and just say, you know, if this game comes out someday, I'm very excited to play it. But at the same time, I'm hesitant to say that, you know, this is up at the top of my list because I just don't even understand how such a thing is made. But anyway, the Xbox wire post is kind of out of order from here. So I'll try to keep a general order of how things were announced, but it might be a little off. But one of the next games we saw was called Call of Sea. This is another game I'm actually really excited about playing. Uh, it's being published by Raw Fury and it's being developed by Out of the Blue. It's a new Spanish developer, uh, pretty small team. I think there's like 12 developers or something uh, working from home. And there are a lot of video game veterans, although they didn't specify who or what studios they've worked at previously. Um, this is a game that is a, um, a smart delivery title. So it will be coming to Xbox One, uh, but it looks really cool. It's got a nice cartoon almost Sea of Thieves-like style to it, um, but it's in a first-person adventure puzzle game set in the 1930s that tells the story of Nora, a woman on the trail uh, of her missing husband's expedition. The search takes place in a strange but beautiful island in the South Pacific, filled with secrets waiting to be unearthed. It is an otherworldly tale of mystery, adventure, and self-discovery. This game looks really badass as well. I mean, hopefully if you're listening to this show, you've seen the Inside Xbox and you've seen all these trailers, but if you haven't, I think you should definitely check this one out. It's it just it looks like a really cool game, and I'm definitely excited to play it. I hope it's a nice, shortish, you know, two to six hour kind of puzzly walking sim game where I can just enjoy a nice, you know, 
world to discover and learn this interesting story about. But it, it looks like a promising game. I hope this will uh, be a good one. But again, this is definitely more of a smaller indie game, not big, pushing the boundaries of the console kind of game. Again, the, the art style looks stunning. The lighting looks stunning in the game. Uh, I assume this will be one of those games that's like, you know, ray tracing takes a real good advantage of ray tracing, but just in the sense of like its graphical fidelity it's alone, it's it wasn't like wow, I've I can't imagine a game would ever look this good. It's uh but still very, very excited to check that game out whenever it comes out. Uh we also saw uh, Dirt Five, uh developed by Codemasters. This is the game I was like, of all the games they showed today, this is the game I was like Probably not. Probably didn't need to show this. This and, and one other, but we'll get to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's Dirt. I think Dirt 4 is on Games with Gold right now. That's no coincidence if that's the case. Uh, that's a very carefully marketed thing where they wanted to coincide the announcement of Dirt 5 with uh, Games with Gold. Oh, it's V-Rally 4. Close enough. Whatever. But, yeah, I mean, Dirt, Dirt 5, what can I say? It's like... It's just weird when it's like you're the Xbox brand. You're known for the Forza series. You have Horizon and Motorsport, and I guess Dirt fi- Dirt's a little more in line with like the Horizon series. But it's like if you're gonna show car games, show off Forza. And I'm sure there's gonna be a Forza Eight. We'll probably see it in July. But seeing Dirt and sh- having them show off, you know, this long-running multi-platform off-road and and track kind of racing game, and just using this to show off the power of the console is just like, this is weird because it's such a long running franchise and it's such a niche franchise and most people just don't care. And it, I just don't feel like this is really the way to share those opening moments, introducing the world to your console, like this kind of game. I just think this kind of game is not really how you want to sell it. But again, I'm not going to lie. The game looked beautiful. Like the graphics, everything about it looked absolutely stunning. Um, it looks fun. I will absolutely never play it. Um, and I'm sure most of you will never play it, but I mean, there, there you go. They showed dirt five, also a smart delivery title. And, and that, then we got into, I believe chorus, uh, this game, this game looks absolutely badass. This game, I absolutely cannot wait to play. Uh, I forget who the developer is, um, but it's being published by deep silver. It is a first person like story driven space combat shooter. And it looks really fucking awesome. It looks like a more mature, realistic looking version of like that Starlink game from a few years ago that I really loved paired with like a little bit of destiny and the physics and just some of the motion graphics and everything in this game just look really cool. And I'm very excited to play this game. It will also be a smart delivery game, so you you can expect it on Xbox One as well. Um, but this is this again. I know it's more of a niche thing. People like myself will be really excited about this game, but this isn't like showing off your next massive everyone must play game. That being said, you know I think there aren't enough space combat like ship kind of dog fighting space combat games. So I'm more than welcome to. I mean. This game is more than welcome to the fold of of Xbox games. I think it's nice to have that variety in there. Um, And it looks like that perfect balance of like not too small and indie and then not too triple A and big game. So it's it's a nice little double A kind of uh, third party game that I'm definitely looking forward to continuing to keep an eye on and eventually play someday. Um, Then they showed 
Scorn. People seemed really high on this one, which I found really ironic because most people's complaint was that this this showcase did not show enough gameplay. It was too many trailers. And Scorn was the one that like I think had absolutely zero gameplay. It was like just a cinematic trailer, but still people were really excited about it. And Scorn is an atmospheric first-person horror adventure game. Um, And yeah, I guess it kind of had, I don't know. I'm not crazy about horror, as I mentioned on the show before. It looks like one of those like super spooky horror games, and it's really hard to say much about it because they did not show gameplay for this. It was just like a cinematic trailer. It was just like a tone-setting trailer and while i'm happy that people are excited about it i just feel like of all the games shown today this was the one where i got the smallest like this the the smallest read on it so it's just really hard for me to feel like i have something to say about it but uh that being said we will of course continue to keep our eyes on it people seem really into it and especially after the way people reacted to this event i would love to see just some more enthusiasm in general around this um they showed like a madden nfl reel uh kind of showing like the first madden game just blasting through the years of madden nfl games up until madden nfl 21 which will be this year's of course madden and then they were just like yeah madden's coming to xbox series x uh and xbox one and so this game is not going to be a smart delivery game. That's a really important thing to note that this game is, you know, Madden games come out in like July or August every year. This game's going to come out for Xbox one for 60 bucks in July or August, and then come out again in November, or whenever the series X comes out and you're going to have to buy it separately. If you want to play on the new console, or if you want to play, you know, this series X version of it, you'll of course be able to play your Xbox one games on the series X. So just a, a quick thing to note, it seems like, that might be a little indicator that EA might be one of the publishers that's not totally on board with this idea of smart delivery. And that's the thing about smart delivery is it's a great feature that only so many people are going to take advantage of. It's really awesome that we've already seen the promise of, you know, like Ubisoft and, and CD project red saying, Hey, we're there. We're, we're going to support smart delivery, but this is what she got. I'm, I'm, this is what I worry about the most is you're greedier, more like, strictly profit driven game publishers like your EAs and your Activision's been like no way in hell are we backing smart delivery we want people to buy our games as many times as we can get them to buy them fuck the player money 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 and uh not not to shit on EA but I see this as being you know the beginning of a long running thing with EA where we're probably not going to see any Battlefield games or Star Wars games or anything like that be um smart delivery uh compatible so just just be mindful of that um but yeah madden nfl they barely showed any gameplay whatsoever it was more of the trailer only um but whatever it's madden people who like madden buy madden every single year and people who don't like madden try to pretend it doesn't exist because they just don't care all right then they showed again we're kind of out of order here oh actually they showed the ascent this is a really cool looking game so i'm very excited for this this one is smart delivery and it's being developed by Neon Giant and published by Curve Digital. So apparently this game is a console exclusive. It's coming to just Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Windows 10 PC, and probably Steam, whatever. But I, I can't, I couldn't find anything to really... I, I heard someone saying that. I think I heard on some stream I was watching, but, but I can't like find any concrete information to say whether or not it is. So little, little asterisk. I believe this is a console exclusive, but this is a really cool look cyber punk looking uh, co-op or solo action RPG. It's like top down RPG. Um, and it looks really, really cool. I don't know. The cinematic trailer they showed was really cool, but then the gameplay was also awesome. It's like a little bit, it's like a little bit like hell divers, a little bit like Diablo. 
uh, a little bit like your just generic twin stick shooter. It's just kind of a unique product, but I'm really excited to see more of this game. And it's definitely something that is high on my list of Xbox Series X games to check out. Neon Giant is a new studio. They are a Swedish indie developer. Um, and hopefully this is a really fun and promising game. They also showed off The Medium, which is uh, Bluebird Team is the publisher. The Medium is another horror game. Now, this is the one I think even more so, even more so than Scorn. The Medium is like a game people were really excited about. So another horror game, and they made the point to let people know that Akira Yamaoka of Silent Hill, the Silent Hill composer, is actually working on this game. So people were really excited to learn that. Um, again, in a conference or in a presentation full of so much uh, ang- anguish and, and hatred from the fans, it was nice to just see something where people kind of universally agreed was cool. Uh, so the medium, if you're a horror fan, you might be interested in looking forward to that. Again, they didn't show too much of the game, but... The setting is definitely pretty gory and next-gen bloodiness, so there's that. They also showed Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, which will be a smart delivery title. It's being published by Paradox Interactive. Now, I looked this up. The first game was published by Activision, and it was released in 2004. It's an old, obscure PC game, and it's um, it's kind of based in this... Uh, it's bloodlines like lore that's like it's like a popular board game and it's a novel series and it's connected to this like expanded universe of like world of darkness so they call it which is like this uh expanded i don't know like monster universe um so apparently there's like it's maybe it's a more niche thing but apparently this is like a known universe that exists and this is probably a pretty long-awaited sequel again it's one of those things where it's like i don't know that this is a game that's going to set the world on fire but i'm sure this is going to make a couple of niche gamers really really happy that seems to be something xbox does a lot these days where it's like they're not making the next game that's going to sell 10 10 million units but they're really good at like marketing and partnering with these uh smaller games that are um kind of more fan service games. Uh, but that's what this looked like to me. I'm not sure. I found the the trailer for it kind of annoying. Kind of reminded me of like a Dead Island game for some reason. And I was just like, eh, I watched it twice. I watched this whole presentation twice. And both times when this trailer came on, I was just like, eh, I don't care about you. Um, but then they announced then they announced Scarlet Nexus. Now, this is one of the two Japanese games that was shown off uh, during the presentation. So at first, this is first of all, this is being uh, published by Bandai Namco. Um, and this is a smart delivery game. So Xbox One and Series X forwards and backwards compatibility. Uh, but yeah, so I'll just read the description. It says take on the role of uh, Yuito Sumeragi, a new recruit of the OSF aiming to become an elite uh, psionic like the one who saved him as a child armed with a talent in psychokinesis, explore the futuristic, the futuristic city of New Himuka uh, and uncover the mysteries of the brain punk future caught between technology and psychic abilities in Scarlet Nexus. So the trailer started out and the enemy types kind of look like really weird and deformed and kind of not cool or interesting. But then like it shows like your character and like his the combat and his like weird, crazy melee moves and everything. And this game actually looks kind of cool. It's like... A futuristic, like, super anime over-the-top game, but, like, in in a good way. I don't know really quite how to put my finger on it, but this is the rare example of, like, something that looks overtly Japanese and anime, but in a way that's not off-putting. And I'm really hoping this game doesn't suck because I think I'm going to I'm gonna put down my money and play this and buy this game, uh, but I definitely want to see more of it. It's definitely one of the standout games to me. The combat and the world and the characters just looked really cool and interesting. And uh, I like this idea of like this cross between technology and like just weird, like 
I don't know, scientific, like just psychic mind power control and just these weird characters that just look morphed and fucked up. But anyway, I think this was one of the highlights of the the, uh, show. No doubt this will be on PS5, uh, of course. But I think it's really important for Microsoft to get in front of the messaging and be like, hey, here's a Japanese game announced and shown off first on our console and hopefully get that that hopefully get that association built of this game with this console. Because I know, obviously, Phil Spencer's making a huge push to kind of get more Japanese content on Xbox. And this feels like it's definitely part of that initiative. And speaking of Japanese content, the other Japanese game they showed was Yakuza Like a Dragon. So this game isn't called Yakuza 7, but it is the seventh mainline Yakuza series. Obviously, I've been talking about this game a little bit lately, or this franchise, as I just started playing it. And I really, really enjoyed Yakuza 0. This is a little weird, though, because... Right now, Yakuza 0 and 1 are on Xbox, and then Yakuza 2 will be on Xbox soon, but then you got 3, 4, 5, 6, and uh, one or two spinoff games that are not on Xbox at all, but they're just going to put the brand new 7th entry on Xbox Series X. So a couple things about this. One, it's smart delivery, so it's coming to Xbox One as well. Uh, Second of all, I felt like this was a weird one just because even though I really loved Yakuza 0 uh, after I beat it a few weeks ago, these games are not like visually mind-blowing. It's cool that this game is coming, but this is the kind of game you really don't want to... If you're trying to show off the technical fidelity of your brand new Xbox console, you don't want to show a game like this because, yeah, it looks good, but it doesn't look next-gen good. It, it barely looks like the best game on... It, I mean, doesn't even look like the bec- best game on the Xbox One, let alone, you know, a solid Xbox Series X game, just from a visual standpoint. That being said, I'm really excited that Yaku- that Sega is supporting Xbox further with more Yakuza games. I hope we eventually get those other uh, entries on the Xbox family of consoles, but it's just a little weird that Xbox gamers are going to have access to, like, the first three games in this massive franchise and then the newest, latest, number seven. Uh, of course, this game... It just came out actually in Japan earlier this year, um, but it will also be coming to PS5 as well. It's already on PS4, so this isn't like a brand new, oh, no one's ever seen this game before. This is like, uh, it's coming to Xbox, it's coming to next-gen consoles, but we're announcing it for Series X first. So it's cool that Xbox kind of got the jump on this announcement, but I don't think visually this is a game that really you want to show off as one of your first few games. Um, And also it's just kind of weird that we're getting this like seventh entry when there's a bunch of games in the middle of the franchise that we're just missing on Xbox. But whatever, that seems like a very Japanese thing anyway. You want to play like a fucking Metal Gear Solid game? It's like you got one of them on PlayStation, one of them on PS4, one of them on PSP, one of them on this. You want to play a fucking Kingdom Hearts game? You got like two of them on PlayStation 1, one of them on DS, one of them on cell phone, one of them on PSP. It's just that kind of weird thing. Um, I just feel like that's very common with Japanese franchises, Dragon Age. There's tons of franchises I can think of that do that, but I like Yakuza and I want to play them all, so it just disappoints me a little bit that they're just like, yeah, enjoy 0, 1, 2, and 7. And I'm like, okay, well, fuck me. I'll just watch YouTube videos explaining all the ones I missed. But anyway, uh, definitely looking forward to that, hoping that we get more and more Yakuza and that this is more promising information that Japanese developers are interested in Xbox and that Xbox is really making a, a, a big stride and effort to get more Japanese content on their console and be more competitive with that international and Asian market uh, that they've just ceded to Sony for so long. Let's see. What else did they announce? There's a, a one or two more. They, um, oh, yeah. So this was like one of the absolute coolest games. This is like top three coolest games they announced. So Second Extinction, it's 
It's uh, by Systemic Reaction. This is one of the three teams uh, that makes up Avalanche Studios. Avalanche Studios, the team behind like Just Cause and that Mad Max game and Rage 2. Um, these guys split into three studios like a month or two ago. This was a new story. So this is one of their studios. And they're making this game called Second Extinction, Extinction which looks just so awesome. It's a uh, three-player cooperative shooter. Uh, the goal is to wipe out mutated dinosaurs that have taken over the planet. The description says teamwork is vital to adopt the role of one of the survival survivors using a unique combination of weapons, abilities, and skills to take out the vast numbers of enemies. Fight alongside a maelstrom of bullets, bombs, teeth, and claws, and gore. It's up to you to reclaim Earth. This is like a Left 4 Dead zombie game or something, but instead of zombies, it's dinosaurs. And it's like, it's like one part Turok, one part doom and one part left for dead it's like you take the best aspects of like the the, the concept of Torok, despite the, game, the fact that that game wasn't really good you take like the awesome kinetic combat of doom and you take like the endless wave of just like bunches and shitloads of zombie-like creatures but in this case they're dinosaurs like left for dead and that's kind of what this game looks like this game also looked visually stunning the rain effects the lighting effects the mud the dinosaur the gore tons and tons of gore looked fucking badass this is a game i'm actually very excited to play which is uh just really i don't know just really original kind of um surprising game to see we just don't see stuff like this a lot i feel like it's the zombie thing is so tired um but all of a sudden i guess i guess doom 2016 really inspired the industry because it looks like we're getting a lot of these like First-person shooters that are very kinetic and very, like, crunchy and uh, arena-based. Just, I don't know, things that look very Doom-like. And I'm all for that because I love these kinds of games. And this is a, this looks like another very promising first-person shooter that I cannot wait to see more of and will definitely be playing on the Xbox. I don't know if I already said this, but it is a, it is a smart delivery title, so you'll be able to get it on uh, Xbox One as well as the Series X. Let's see, I believe... And then the final game they showed off was Assassin's Creed Valhalla, of course. They kept teasing throughout the show that, stay tuned to the end, we're going to show Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This was probably the most disappointing thing they showed. Um, I know I said Dirt 5 was, but this was disappointing in the sense that they kept talking about gameplay, 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 and even Ubisoft was just like tweeting out stuff like, see gameplay of Assassin's Creed Valhalla on the Xbox, inside Xbox thing later this week. And everyone was so pumped about this, even though, you know, I, I didn't personally care. I don't like Assassin's Creed. But, you know, people were really looking forward to this. And it's really quite unfortunate that so many people had their hopes like just totally dashed because what they showed was like a new cinematic trailer. It really wasn't gameplay. I know like everything they showed that was cinematic throughout the whole show was like, in engine, but it's like if you say you're going to show gameplay, don't show in engine cinematics, show gameplay. You know, you may seem like everyone was going to see like quick demos of these games, not a cutscene, you know, running in the game's engine. So it was pretty misleading in that respect, and uh, I didn't give a shit. I, I, to me, it just looked like another Assassin's Creed game or whatever, but this time with Vikings. But I know a lot of people were really disappointed about this one, but that was kind of their closeout. So they unfortunately ended on a pretty bad note for most fans but you know obviously we will see more of that game coming soon that game will be out this fall it'll of course be on pc and ps5 uh, and be a massive fall title so uh, not all is not lost we will see a lot of assassin's creed valhalla coming soon but this was a bit of a misleading thing to like really anchor the show around this one game and then have this game be like the one that you showed the least amount of gameplay for with the exception of like Scorn, which was a game no one was expecting. But yeah, overall, now that we've gone through the games, overall, this was a uh, somewhat disappointing show for a lot of people. Immediately, 
it was one of those like things where like the YouTube videos that Microsoft uploaded quickly became like super overwhelmingly downvoted. And then apparently Microsoft started deleting negative comments and deleting and having uh, downvotes deleted. I don't know that this is really a thing, but apparently this happens sometimes in videos. This isn't the first time I've seen comment sections accusing this of happening, but apparently a bunch of downvotes and comments were deleted. And it's just like, you know, all over YouTube and Twitch and the internet, it was just people totally shitting on Microsoft saying, oh my God, you know, they, I can't believe they built all this momentum and then they just totally screwed up and they just laid the groundwork for Sony to walk in, announce PS5 and do basically nothing but just automatically win because this is ass, Microsoft is ass, Xbox is the worst, blah, 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 blah. This is actually the perfect example. Right now we are living a real world perfect example of what I'm always talking about. You know, a few years ago, uh, maybe it was two or three years ago, it was the last time Sony did an E3. They did that god-awful E3 presentation where they had a bunch of fucking people sit in a tent. They did the reveal for, for The Last of Us Part Two. Then they moved everyone from the tent to a main theater and had some guy play like a flute while they showed off a Ghost of Tsushima reveal trailer. And they had to take like a 20-minute intermission so they could move everyone from one theater to the next one to continue showing one of like the four games they showed that year. It was a god-awful awful E3 presentation and Microsoft had a great E3 showing that year fairly certain this was 2018 and it was one of those things where of course afterwards everyone's like wow Sony had a really weak showing but the main consensus was like Sony's done better those games look awesome that was kind of a weak showing but then Microsoft has something like this where it's like they really did just show game 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 and they did preface with it's going to be all third-party games do not expect Halo. You will not see Halo. That's for July. Today is about third-party games. They preface with that. They show you games, 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 and that's all people bitch about is that Xbox doesn't show enough games. And then what happens when the when the when the stream is over? Everyone bitches about how Xbox is the absolute worst. It's like this is a perfect example of like how it's like Xbox is just constantly fighting this uphill battle. Now, I'm not going to defend Xbox by saying this was a great showing and that they're getting a lot of unfair flack. I think this was like a very solid like C D rated like like um showing. I think a lot of these games are kind of misleading because we knew about a lot of these games. A lot of these games are kind of weak because it's like, you know, like Yakuza even though I love Yakuza, it's like you're really going to show a port of a PS4 game from Japan as like this powerful next generation console game. It's like, what the fuck? And a lot of it was like, you did really emphasize gameplay. And yes, even though these trailers were all running an engine, this really wasn't gameplay. Very, there was very little gameplay. Some of these trailers showed more gameplay than others. It was a little bit misleading. I get that. And, but overall, I don't think they did a God awful job. In fact, now that I think about it more, it's like, it's like a C, it's like a C grade showing. It's, it's fine. It's like, you know, it's like if this were an IGN thing. It's like a seven out of 10 is what I give is what I give this showing. Uh, it's not, it's, it's fine. But that being said, it's like, I think this, con this conference conference, this, uh, the showing was given so much unnecessary hate and people are just tearing it apart. Like, like let, let's be clear. I'm not trying to perpetuate console wars or anything like that, but I'm trying to say like, let's keep things in mind. You know, Microsoft has had nothing but incredible E3 showings for the past like four or five years straight, okay? And then during the Game Awards, they dropped this bombshell announcement of the Series X that catch everyone off guard, and it looks fucking amazing, and it's promised as a stupid, powerful console. And then over the past few months, 
They keep teasing. We got all these studios. They're making all these games. We got this really awesome console. They show us all the specs. They let all these YouTubers take the thing home and break it open and show how fucking powerful this new box is, how impressive this new box is. And people start freaking out. Wow, Xbox looks really promising this generation. And then Sony keeps fucking punting and punting and punting. And there's all these rumors that, you know, the PS5 isn't ready to go. They can't figure out a price. There's issues with it in development. It's not, you know, it doesn't have proper backwards compatibility. It's not nearly as powerful as the Xbox One. There's all these issues with Sony, and then they have that awful Mark Cerny presentation where he just fucking lectures you like a college course about the the internals of their SSD, and no one, and everyone's like, wow, that was really boring, and everyone gives Sony a little bit of shit, and all they've really done so far is shown what the controller looks like, and so yeah, everyone's joshed on PlayStation a little bit, but the comments aren't like, Holy, oh my god, Sony is shit. Fuck Sony. Sony's so stupid. If you go into like the deep corners of the Xbox fan community, it's people shitting on PlayStation. But if you look at the general conversation, it's like, wow, PlayStation, please show us the PS5. We're really excited for it. I know PS5 has been kind of mis like mismanaged in terms of announcements, but I'm still more excited for the PS5 than the Xbox Series X because PlayStation. But then Microsoft has like one slight fumble, and it's instantly just like, fuck Xbox. This is just as bad as the Xbox One reveal. They're so stupid. They can't do anything right. And it's just like, this isn't me trying to like protect my brand as a fan of Xbox. This is me just saying like, calm the fuck down. Microsoft has said already, first of all, you got you to slow down. This was not their E3 showing. This is them saying we have so much shit to talk about this year that we have parsed it out into a multi-month presentation of like seemingly endless content pertaining to our new console. Meaning in, in May which is to this month, this first showing, we're going to give you a small taste of third-party games, indie games, third-party games, games we do not develop that will be on our console, the back-end stuff, the afterthought stuff. Then we're going to show you more shit about this console, presumably give you pricing and release date information, all that shit you're clamoring for. Then we're going to show you Halo and what all of our other first-party studios are working on. They're, they're pro there's so much stuff down the road that we haven't learned. It's like they showed us like the worst content of their next, like, like if everything they're doing in the next few months as part of this Xbox 2020 initiative all adds up together as like what would have been their X, their E3 presentation today. We just saw like one part of that yet. People are here judging this conference as if it was like the whole thing and they really fucked up and there's no way to recover from this. It's like, dude, they showed off like some stuff. They've intentionally prefaced with the fact that the best has not been revealed yet. We still haven't seen the best stuff. So it's like, what are you fucking talking about? I understand. It's like if they had just started with the big stuff, if today was about Halo and the first parties and it was an hour long thing of all their first party games, I agree that optically probably would have been a better decision because you want to start out big dick swinging because if everyone like can't keep their breath or so excited about Halo next month or in two months when you show all this third party stuff, it's okay if people are a little let down because they can be like, okay, there were some cool games. It wasn't nearly as cool, but you know, who cares? We got Halo Infinite and all this other shit that we're looking forward to. You know, I agree. That's, that's how they should have done it is first party, then third party, not the other way around. But still, like, I don't understand why you know, a rational person can't watch the stream, be mildly disappointed with what they saw and go, oh, but you know what? That was the, sm that was the appetizer. That wasn't the fucking entree. That was like the taste of what's to come. We haven't even seen the good stuff yet. I just, I just named a bunch of cool games. Like I agree this, this wasn't like a jaw dropping presentation, but like going through the list, like I don't care about Assassin's Creed. Bright Memory Infinite looks really cool. Call of the Sea looks really cool. Chorus looks really cool. Don't give a shit about Dirt 5. Scarlet Nexus looks really cool. Scorn, people are excited for it. 
Uh, second Extinction looks awesome. The Ascent looks pretty cool. The Medium, people are excited for that horror game. Vampire the Masquerade, I don't care about it. Yakuza, that looks awesome. Those are a bunch of fucking awesome games. Like, holy shit, I'm excited about more than half of those games. That's amazing. Like, think about any E3 presentation you've ever seen. It's like, I understand how exciting E3 is, but the real, the reality of E3 for everyone is that you sit there and you watch Microsoft's hour presentation or Sony's or whoever's, and you're really only interested in, like, three or four games at most that they announce, you got to sit through the stuff you don't care about to get to the good stuff. And today was about some of the smaller stuff, some of the things maybe most people aren't going to care about. And I think they kind of made that clear, but the miscommunication is when they really put the emphasis on gameplay footage. So I do understand the criticism on that. I don't think Microsoft deserves a pass for that. Don't think I'm giving them a pass for that. I agree. There was a lot of like CGI looking trailer stuff and just like this, sure, this is running an engine, but this isn't what you play. You don't play dialogue. You don't play this cutscene of people fighting. You play the game and we want to see the game in action. We, you know, I, I talked about games like Scorn. It's like, yeah, we, we get it. You want to see what Scorn actually looks like. What is the game? We don't care about just the atmosphere. I want to see what this game looks like in action. That's a total reasonable criticism. But still, it's like, chill the fuck out. Give Microsoft the criticism they deserve. Don't write off this whole next generation console just yet because they showed you the least interesting stuff already. Like, stay excited, guys. We got so much more down the road. We we don't need to start riding in the streets and spreading coronavirus out of anger for what Microsoft's done until they fuck up Halo Infinite. Just just hold on till July. We'll get through this. It's not that bad. I really think people are overreacting about this. Uh, really giving Xbox a lot of necessary shit and just blindly. A lot of people are just blindly giving PlayStation an unrelenting amount of support and love just because they're not Xbox. Like, you still don't know anything about PS5. All you really know is it's got a fast SSD. You know what the controller looks like from a rendering and not an actual picture of it. And you know that it's going to be expensive and play uh, fucking God of War 2. Like, chill the fuck out. Like, PlayStation 5 is going to be great, but it's not definitively the greatest thing in the world just because you're not excited about Dirt 5. Get over yourself, buddy. All right. So that was the, the, the thing overall. And... Like I said, next month we'll get more exciting stuff about the console, and then the month after that we'll get way more exciting stuff about the first-party games. But for now, that's that's a look at some Xbox Series X stuff. And I think, like I said, just ending thoughts, a lot of exciting games coming. Would we have liked more actual gameplay footage? Sure, of course. Did Microsoft do a fantastic job with this presentation? By no means. Was it an A-plus knocked out of the park? No. But it was a pretty solid slew of... All right, sorry, my uh, computer, I guess in all my excitement, my computer just totally crashed Audacity, and I just lost about a minute of recording, so thank God it wasn't more, thank God I didn't lose the whole podcast, or I would be crying the saltiest X-Bot tears, um, but I, I do take that as a sign to just move the fuck on, as we're already in like the longest episode of the podcast ever, so we will jump into what is left of this news week, as a side note, it's already like a normal news week, so <laughs> let's get through these stories um, unrelated to the Inside Xbox, let me know what you thought about the presentation, the Inside Xbox this week, if you liked it, hated it, what whatever it was, if you thought... How they could have done better. I'm sure everyone's a little down on it. So just let, let me know what you thought about that. But we will move on. 
Our first non-inside Xbox related story is that earlier this week, Microsoft actually revealed the boot up sound and image for the Xbox Series X. So, you know, that's kind of a cool like thing if you're really into this kind of more nerdy shit uh, about the console and you can you can go ahead look it up on YouTube or on Xbox's Twitter they posted the little five second boot up sound and an image for the console totally sounds a hundred percent different it's like like every Xbox console totally different sound totally different boot up screen it's pretty cool I think I'm still a bigger fan of the Xbox one's boot up screen the most just in terms of its sound I, li- I like that sound that they did for the Xbox one but of course you know the the original Xbox has the most iconic boot up screen of any Xbox um, but nonetheless pretty cool it's 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 simple it's kind of nice it's fine but definitely check that out um, now for a more general like real story this is a, a nice little data driven nerdy one so from Windows Central Microsoft this week has provided new data on its Xbox services and subscriptions witnessing all-time record engagements amid the ongoing global pandemic the, this comes uh, with a strategy growth of Xbox Live active users and paying Xbox Live game pass subscribers reported via the latest quarter three financial reports uh, so while Microsoft's overall core uh, Quarterly gaming revenue stayed flat, declining 1% year-over-year. The company sees uh, continued success of Xbox Live um, Gaming Network and Game Pass subscription services. Speaking um, about their fiscal year 20 quarter three earnings call on April 29th, uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella confirmed that Xbox Live Active users now nears 90 million users, serving as a gateway to its digital gaming portfolio and communication hub during an era of social distancing. So they estimate that this is a 42% increase in Xbox Live population year over year from uh, from fiscal year um, 2019 Q- Q4, which was at 65 million. So that just shows, I think what that really shows is that a lot of PC people have Xbox Live right now or using Xbox Live right now. Um, but it shows that a lot of inactive Xbox Live accounts just paid for the subscription and just got back online or something. Uh, but then in addition to that, Game Pass uh, um, also saw some big numbers. Um, between Xbox One and Windows 10, 10 it has surpassed 10 million subscribers. Uh, it's the first time Microsoft has provided hard Xbox Game Pass figures, demonstrating a shifting internal attitude towards the value of the service, meaning that basically they're finally proud with some some of its performance, and that's why they're touting numbers. Uh, Microsoft has positioned the subscription as a high-value package as Xbox veterans and newcomers, uh, fe- featuring a rotating library of over 300 titles, of course, and including new games that have come out as of late, like today's Red Dead Redemption 2 addition to the service, coupled with alluring entry-level plans for like $1 for the first month of Game Pass. And then again, Project xCloud, Microsoft's game streaming service, uh, has also touted some impressive numbers that Microsoft and Satya Nadella wouldn't get into specifics about, but he did state that hundreds of thousands of users are now on board with the service, and that includes coverage in the US, Canada, UK, Korea, and the currently expanding European territories. Um, Gaming revenue clocks in with a 1% decline year over year, which is an odd uh, thing to note since um, subscription services are, are so high up uh, as preparations remain underway for the new upcoming game, uh, generation of console the xbox series x of course xbox content services increased two percent coupled with the uptick in engagement directly attributed to the stay-at-home guidelines which basically means more people are subscribed to game pass xbox live and using uh, um, uh, x cloud than ever before more people are using their xboxes period than ever before and just are engaged with it yet 
revenue and spending on Xbox is down 1%, which tells you a couple things. I think it tells you that, one, people are really waiting to spend money on their Xboxes until the Series X comes out, and two, um, a lot of people aren't buying new games because they have things like Games with Gold and xCloud and Game Pass, and they're playing new games that way. They're spending their their their, uh, their gaming dollars on subscription services rather than like DLC and new games in general and just playing games that way. So it's like the money's still there. It's just going in different places. Um, but this is a good news for subscription services. Kind of a little surprising to see game spending decline, but also you got to understand it's been a while since like a really big new Fortnite, Red Dead Redemption type games come out. So you still, you know, those are your big money makers is like your Call of Duty in-app purchases, your GTA Online, things like that. Um, and we've seen those services persist, but not really like anything like new, new come out recently. Um, whereas, you know, a year ago, this time last year, GTA Online or, or uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 Online was brand new. So you had that spending up a lot more probably. Let's see. And then so it, just overall, Microsoft has recently reported that $35 billion income in company-wide revenue for fiscal year 20 quarter three, up 15% over the same period last year, despite struggles among the COVID-19 pandemic. So not only is Xbox doing relatively well, but Microsoft, its parent company, is doing extraordinarily well despite everything going on. Um, so this is just a weird little juxtaposition, if you will, of the seeing the the engagement on Xbox up while the revenue is slightly down. If anything, it's kind of like flatlined or plateaued. It's not really down, down, you know, 1% is kind of an outlier number. If you're looking at the bell curve, so to speak, but engagement up, you would expect revenue up as well, right? You would assume the, the two things are correlated, but we're not seeing that be the case here. Um, as more people are playing Xbox than ever before at the moment yet. So this is just a really weird thing to see happening. But again, like I said, I, th I think it is a lot of, you know, people are staying at home playing video games, but also people are afraid to spend money right now. A lot of people are furloughed. A lot of people have been laid off. A lot of people don't know if they're going to have a job tomorrow. So yeah, maybe you're stuck at home, you're furloughed, you got more time on your hands, you're working from home, whatever the case is, but you're probably a little more comfortable spending this free time playing a game you already own than spending money you might not have to be spending uh, buying video games, which is something so frivolous. Uh, the only thing that really pokes a hole in that logic is that generally when the economy is doing poorly, gaming is something that actually kind of benefits from it because it's a relatively inexpensive hobby. I know people like to bitch about the cost of games and things like that, but when you compare playing video games to a lot of other hobbies out there, it's relatively inexpensive and it's kind of an easy, you know, accessible form of escapism. So generally gaming does pretty well in a poor economy, but this is kind of, you know, obviously a very specific, um, unprecedented time where <laughs> I think people are scared in different ways than usual. So this could, you know, there's no real telling how COVID-19 is really playing an impact on how people are spending their money and, and how that exactly correlates with, with Xbox and in games in general. Um, but I think, you know, that paired with the anticipation of new hardware paired with people starting to play more games via game pass and games with gold versus buying new games is you're seeing the money go into the subscription services versus the general market, the store marketplace on the Xbox. And I think that's, that's a pretty understandable transition for, to figure out where the money's going. So that's where, uh, gaming revenue and everything stands over at Microsoft. Our next story here though, is that Xbox isn't the only one holding their own multi-month event of video game news 
news being rolled out to consumers. So from Windows Central, Jeff Keighley, the host of the Game Awards and opening night live at Gamescom, has revealed that he is working on an entirely new project called Summer Game Fest, running from May through August 2020. This event is four months of news, digital shows, and demos from multiple publishers, including but not even remotely limited to CD Projekt Red, Xbox, PlayStation, WB Games, and Bethesda. Um, important to note uh, Jeff Keighley was an important uh, figurehead of the E3 scene, and this was the year he left E3 and decided to sever ties with the ESA, um, so it's no surprise that he's working on kind of his own summer game information news scene type uh, event um, as a replacement. Um, and then in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz, Keeley explained that, quote, you have to open your mind to different ways of getting news about games. He, he notes that Summer Game Fest is not a big press conference with 5,000 people and an audience hooting and hollering and cheering. And I miss... And I miss that stuff. Those things are big moments. So how do we create those moments in this new world order? Uh, I think people have to just accept that it's different. Maybe some things will be even better. And maybe you'll be able, uh, maybe you'll get more content at home. End quote. And that's kind of where he leaves that. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. I understand, you know, I kind of alluded to it a bit when we were talking about Inside Xbox a little while ago. But I, I understand people love E3. I love E3, too. You know, I, I, I understand that's a dying thing and that it's not long for this world and that this year might, you know, the loss of E3 this this year might cripple the, the ESA and, and make that thing go bye bye. Um, but you know, I understand, like I'm one of those people. I, I agree with the generic gamer sentiment that, you know, I don't participate in the Super Bowl. I don't care for football. E3 is my Super Bowl. E3 is that time of year where I get all like jittery and like, Oh my God, there's so many games. I gotta, I gotta request a day or two off work so I can just sit at home and, and make junk food and just drink Mountain Dew and watch these press conferences and like get all heated and excited about what's happening. I, I love that. And you know, I obviously I'm not big on the whole, like the, the false hype train, the whole, like thinking this new game is going to be the second coming of Jesus. And we all got to get super excited and bent out of shape over like a fucking video game. But it is fun to be a part of like that collective conversation and to, to be excited about what's going on this specific moment in time about these, this specific hobby, knowing that pretty much everyone who exists in this industry and the shared, you know, community is also pretty excited about the exact same thing. It just feels like, you know, you're sharing a moment and it's palpable and you see the crowds and, and the, in the audiences roaring and cheering it on. It's just E3 is just such an indelible staple of the games industry. It's hard to imagine a world without it. But at the same time, I think, you know, years like this one where you can't have E3 and, you know, with the, with the kind of, um, endearment and acceptance of things like Nintendo Direct. I think this is a really good opportunity for people to really embrace the positives of streaming and it's things like what Xbox is doing right now. Like everyone's bitching and moaning about how they didn't like the inside Xbox today. But again, it's like, how fucking cool is it that that's not the end, you know? Next month, they're going to talk more about the console. Then the month after that, they're going to talk about first-party games. It's going to be like little mini E3s every month for the, for the rest of the year. That's so exciting. Um, Whereas, you know, sometimes Microsoft has had bad E3 showings, you know? If this was just a regular E3, Microsoft just had a bad E3 showing, that's it. You know, try again next year. We'll see you in 12 months, you know? But... This, you know, with the advent of streaming and, and these kinds of online events, we don't have to worry about that because now Microsoft can just be like, 
okay, okay, you didn't like the one in May, just fucking wait four weeks. Maybe you'll like the next one, you know? And they can do these more digestible, bite-sized things. And it's easier to focus on what's happening in the industry when we're being shown, like, eight new games at a time instead of, like, 200 because E3 is just such an information overload. It's cool. It's it's a new way to digest. And it allows, you know, people to focus on a more bite-sized conversation piece one at a time. And I think it's an easier way for everyone to just, in general, stay, stay engaged. It's just more accessible to everyone. They can cut out some of the showmanship and the bullshit that sometimes is fun and, and part of the reason why people love E3. You know, it's watching things like Keanu Reeves jump out on stage. But sometimes it's also cool to just be like, oh, there's Xbox, you know, playing a funny joke because they got an Xbox Series X that looks like a refrigerator in the background. And they're all in pajamas sitting in their homes talking about next generation games. It's like, you know, it's different. And uh, I think... You know, for those of us that embrace it, there's something to be said for, you know, kind of kind of seeing the good in all this and what it can be rather than bitching about what we don't have. Um, People were like, remember, people were so down on Nintendo Directs when they were a new thing. Like back in the Wii U days, people shit on Nintendo all the time for Nintendo Directs. And nowadays, like Nintendo announces a Nintendo Direct. You see that shit trending on Twitter. You see like. You see, like, fucking people who would never talk about video games talking about Animal Crossing because Nintendo is going to have a 37-minute streaming presentation about all the nitty-gritty stupid bullshit you can do in the new Animal Crossing game. Like, that's fucking awesome. You know, Nintendo's managed to capture that audience and really have people embrace that side of them. And I think it's really cool that, you know, Microsoft's clearly trying this right now. And Jeff Keighley's talking about embracing that as well. And Sony's been trying that a little bit. They've been doing those state of plays for, like, the past year, although they've kind of given up on them in recent history. But, you know, I think it's a really cool opportunity to really embrace. I think this is one of those things that you got to give Nintendo a hand for. They really pioneered this. It's one of those really weird things where Nintendo's almost always behind everyone else in a lot of, like, futuristic things. But this is just one thing where they, they saw the opportunity long before anyone else did. And uh, I really think we need to see brands like Xbox and, and PlayStation really embrace this kind of stuff. And and uh, the hardest thing isn't getting Microsoft or or Sony to embrace this. It's it's getting gamers to embrace it. And that's what Jeff Keighley's talking about. Just like, hey, remember how much we didn't like Nintendo Directs and now we love them? Like, that can be the same thing with this project I'm doing with Inside Xbox. Like, let's just, like, chill out. Understand that everyone can be different. That's what's so cool is, you know, like, today Microsoft's talking about third-party games. Tomorrow they're talking about exclusives. Sometimes Nintendo Directs are about indie games. Sometimes they're about just one game. You know, sometimes there's a Nintendo Direct. It's all about Fire Emblem, and I appreciate that because Nintendo says, hey, we're doing a whole Nintendo Direct just about Fire Emblem, and then I go, go, thanks for the heads up, Nintendo. Now I know I don't give a shit, and I don't have to watch that Nintendo Direct because I don't like Fire Emblem. But then they go, hey, we're going to have a Nintendo Direct all about Mario, and I'm like, great, I'll be there for this one. I love Mario. I can't wait. And I like I like that idea. You know, E3 is such a mixed bag because you watch something like Microsoft's E3 press conference and it's so fun. And then you watch like EA's press conference and they're like, all right, FIFA, Madden, all this bullshit. And you're just sitting there like trying not to die of boredom. And Ubisoft's out there showing you Just Dance 2027, which is somehow still coming to the Nintendo Wii after all this time. And it's just like you're just fucking dying of boredom. But with these more bite-sized focused streams, you're able to really curate each and every one to a specific theme and capture the specific audience you need for that one. You know, it's cool. Like if, if you're like the honest to God truth is if all you really give a shit about was seeing Halo Infinite today, you shouldn't have watched inside Xbox because Xbox said, Hey, we're not showing Halo Infinite. We're talking about third party series X games. 
That's who should have come is to the streams. People who wanted to see that. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's a way better way to control the message. And people really need to embrace this kind of, this, this new uh, frontier of, of messaging in, the, in, in news announcements in the games industry. But we're lingering on that too long. This episode's already so godforsakenly long. And I'm going to be up all night trying to uh, edit and upload this guy. So let's move on. Our next one here is that former Ubisoft developers confirmed some leaked footage released this week. That is indeed that of a now-canceled Prince of Persia game that was pitched at one point in time. What's more interesting, though, is that the footage is, has actually been floating around on YouTube since 2012. And has has only now been noticed. The video titled Prince of Persia Redemption shows staple mechanics of the franchise like time altering and intense platforming. Jonathan Cooper, a video game animator with the credits of Last of Us Part 2, Uncharted 4, Assassin's Creed 3, Mass Effect, revealed that the footage was pre-rendering uh, of game of a game pitch um, video created uh, to, to simulate gameplay. Uh, Cooper added, he said, sadly, Ubisoft uh, are generally quicker to cancel Prince of Persia games than other IPs, because as far as I know, original creator Jordan uh, Mechner still holds licensing rights to the profit margins, and they're low. Or he still holds licensing rights, so the profit margins are low, I should say. Uh, Cooper said that he would love to see a new Prince of Persia game, preferably set in contemporary Iran. Prince of Persia has, of course, uh, remained dormant since 2010 when its last entry, The Forgotten Sands, launched to last-gen hardware. The series is largely believed to have been replaced by the far more ubiquitous and profitable Assassin's Creed franchise. So this is something I don't, I don't know if this was common knowledge or if this was known, but this is new to me, actually, that um, the Prince of Persia license was held by someone else. And that's why, you know, that's a reason why Ubisoft was less interested is that they have to pay, you know, they have to give royalties and, and they only make a certain percentage of the profit because they had to share the money made on uh, using the Prince of Persia license. I had no idea that was a thing. Um, so that actually explains a lot because, I mean, the the conventional wisdom surrounding Prince of Persia for so long was that Assassin's Creed was kind of Prince of Persia's spiritual successor, you know, in the earlier days of Assassin's Creed. And it just kind of got so popular and so far ahead of itself that it, it just got to the point where it's like, eh, who, we don't need the redundancy of Prince of Persia and Assassin's Creed. We'll just do the one that makes more money and the one that people like more. I didn't realize that, you know, Assassin's Creed was just like a wholly owned thing that's more profitable for the simple fact that the money's made on Assassin's Creed is Ubisoft's money and no one else's. So that's actually just, I, in my opinion, the most interesting fact about that, aside from the fact that this footage has apparently just been buried somewhere in YouTube since 2012. It's been there for like eight years and just no one knew about it until now, which is mind blowing, but pretty cool. Go ahead and check that out. If you were interested in seeing some, um, forgotten Prince of Persia concepts, that was a series that I actually liked. It's kind of sad that Prince of Persia isn't a thing anymore. I actually liked it a lot more than Assassin's Creed, but, uh, the market has spoken. They prefer the assassins. They like to assassinate. And then we got our next story here. A penultimate story, if you will. It is that uh, we're back. We're back to our everyone gets an E3 new co news coverage. EA has announced that they will be doing their annual EA Play showcase this year, uh, but of course it will be streamed exclusively uh, because stay at home. The event will take place on June 11th at 7 p.m. Eastern time, the only time zone that matters. Uh, expect games like Battlefield, sports, possibly another Star Wars thing, unless it gets canceled, and a bunch of internet trolls bitching about how they hate EA. Um, so that should be no surprise. EA play has been a thing for a couple years now and they're still going to do it. It's just going to be a digital thing. I don't really have much to say on this except that 
You know, it'll be interesting to see what games they're going to talk about. They've been teasing an HD game, so maybe Mass Effect's coming back in some form. I'm pretty sure we'll see a, a tease of the next Battlefield game, which is supposed to come out next year. And then, you know, hopefully we'll get something on uh, another good Star Wars game. Um, but I really don't know what else to expect from EA other than, like, FIFA and Madden. And then our final story for the week is from Windows Central is that Epic Games has introduced Unreal Engine 4.25. And while speaking of Unreal, and while there are dozens of new features to be excited about, the highlights uh, is that it supports the PS5 and Xbox Series X. The game engine now offers the initial support for next gen consoles, um, but it is still a key milestone that allows devs to start working on the games to target the upcoming consoles. The new version comes with platform-specific functionality, including initial support for online subsystems and new audio advancements. Uh, that means PS5. This is the first of many builds that will be rolled out over the course of, of the year, with Epic noting that it will deliver, quote, optimized fixes and certification requirements, end quote, to better facilitate development for upcoming consoles. So, yeah, it's just it goes into a bunch of nerdy stuff. I don't want to get too in the weeds on this because I don't think a lot of people are gonna really care um but it's a lot of um vfx uh improvements ui improvements and just things that allow the engine to cater more to the specific advantages of ps5 and xbox series x meaning that's still unreal engine 4 but it's just kind of meant with next gen consoles in mind making it easier for people to take advantage of these these features for next gen uh, games so unreal engine 4.25 is also updated tools that give devs detailed statistics unreal insights that it has a new ui and now comes uh, with networking insights to debug network traffic and animation insights plugins to let devs optimize the performance of their games so i actually don't have much to say on this one because it is a nerdy kind of developer related thing and, the sh and i don't know i think it's as simple as that Unreal Engine is one of those things where it's like it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, you don't need to make a whole new Unreal Engine 5. I still think Unreal Engine is a pretty proficient and uh, a modern engine, so to speak. It just needs some tweaks to allow for these newer consoles um, to make developing for these a little more accessible and easy. And I think that's exactly what they're really doing here. They're just taking what already exists and catering it to the new consoles. Now, I found I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite because I'm kind of talking about how the initiative needs to make their own engine, not use Unreal Engine. But again, I'm not I'm not saying that Unreal's bad. Again, I'm not saying Unreal's bad. It's a fantastic engine. It's just um, when you play whatever we're not getting into that can of worms again but that's going to do it for our news stories this week we're just going to run through our uh, stories that are important enough news uh, stories important enough to make the podcast but not enough to warrant their own discussion we got a couple little rapid fire ones all one sentence long we actually have like like six seven or eight or something of them uh witcher developer cd project red has announced that on june 11th they will be hosting night city wire a digital event future showcasing uh the highly anticipated cyberpunk 2077 in celebration of the May 5th Be With You, Star Wars is making DLC for Star Wars Jedi Knight Fallen Order that you can download free. May the 5th Revenge be of the 4th. New Battle Grid Cosmetics available. Download. A recent interview with a developer, Infinity Ward, has provided news that suggests Call of Duty Warzone will indeed be making its way to the Xbox Series X in the future. First screenshots of the upcoming Lord of the Rings Gollum game have been revealed, and he is ugly. The game comes out... To this, uh, the game comes to the Series X in 2021. New first-time subscribers to Xbox Game Pass will also be will also be eligible to receive six months of Spotify Premium free for a limited time. Fuck you, value. And finally, EA has teased an upcoming HD remake coming soon. Tune into EA Play on June 11th to find out if it's the Mass Effect trilogy that everyone's been begging for for years or not. 
And that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. I know we're already at like the hour and a half mark. This is the longest episode of Xbox On. Uh, I appreciate you bearing with me. It's just, you know, it's one of those things. There was so much news this week paired with this big, um, this big inside Xbox stream. So just tons and tons to cover, which is a better problem to have than not enough information to cover, I suppose. But now we'll get into this week's new game releases, of which there are 14 because they're just a never-ending slew of games coming out. But we got Pushy and Pulley in Blockland. This looks like a game someone would like fucking torrented for you, like a rip-off NES game that someone would like burned on a CD along with like 500 other NES games. But nonetheless, it's here. It's co-op. Then we got Emma, Lost in in Memories. It is a game about a girl named Emma who cannot get over the painful nostalgia she feels when she thinks about how she used to. Uh, she used to feel something inside. She used to be a part of something. And now she is a 2D platformer. Uh, our next game is called Read 2, which is also a 2D platformer. It is available on the Switch probably also. Uh, our next game is called Task Force Campus. Uh, which is like there's like these weird butts floating in air. It's 2D. There's like uh, prisms and something says hard at the top and there's a timer and a score button. I don't care. It's a shoot 'em up. The next game is called Zombies Ruined My Day, which kind of looks cute. There's like a big clown zombies giant standing in front of a carnival and a castle. And there's like some dude with a shotgun. It looks like a flash animation game. Probably would be really fun on the. Uh, this would be a fun game to play on the computer while you're at school. With uh, free time. Professional Farmers American Dream is our next game coming out on May 6th. This is a farming simulator, but not just any farming simulator. Because in this game, rather than controlling the farming equipment to, you know, tend the land and feed the cattle and whatnot, you play the opposite. So instead of getting to ride the lawnmower over the grass, you get to play the grass being mowed by the lawnmower. Instead of playing the... um, farmer uh, milking the the teats of the of the cow to get that succulent milk you get to play as the cow teats uh just uh, getting squished and pulled in in every which direction so it's a very interesting twist on the farming simulator highly recommend it i'm definitely gonna enjoy that the next game there is called infinite beyond the mind this is a game where you play in a snowmobile it's like It's like Ice Climbers, if they finally got snowmobiles instead of just running around with a string everywhere. But instead of climbing a mountain now, they're in, like, the fucking volcanoes blowing up bad guys. But the graphics are too 2D for me to really tell. Uh, Our next game is called Mecha Wars Desert Ashes. The art style is pretty cool. Looks kind of like Invader Zim meets uh, Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't know why the screenshot shows all the characters, like, blasted into pieces instead of showing, like, the characters fighting the enemy. But it's a it's a bad screenshot. Doesn't mean it's a bad game. Judge you can't judge a screen by its cover, but you can judge a book by uh, the fact that it's an Xbox Play Anywhere title. Our next game here is called Fury Unleashed. This is basically a knockoff to Metal Slug. Um, but the difference is it has Unleashed in the title, which means it's half related to Sonic Unleashed, which is a game I highly recommend you play. The next game here is called Super Mash, which I assume is like a, um, which is actually like, it's uh, obviously it's a play on Super Smash, Super Mash. Obviously it's spiritually, it's inspired by Super Smash Brothers, of course, but rather than actually playing, uh, as the characters fighting, you play as the dolls that are in the room in the intro sequence of the first Smash Bros. game on N64. Next game here is called Sin Slayer Enhanced Edition. In this game, you play as sinful slayers. You fight in turn-based combat. Um, you get plus one rage. You get weakness. 
The problem with this game is that I have nothing to say about it to make you laugh. I'm really out of energy, to be honest with you. And then Ultimate Ski Jumping 2020 is our next game, which is like one of those mini games from Sonic and Mario at the Olympics games, um, except it's just one of the games instead of all of them. So you can pay a lot of money for not a lot of content. Dukes of Defense is our next game. It is so low polygon that the castles look smaller than the trees. But needless to say, it is another game where you play as orcs and knights fighting each other. It's like every fucking 2D game. I just cannot believe this many games come out and look the exact fucking same. Farming Simulator is definitely my pick of the week. Our last game here is called Ghost Files 2, Memory of a Crime, but I'm pretty sure we talked about that game a few weeks ago, and it's just making a comeback to drive me fucking insane. So definitely go ahead and check out that Farming Simulator game. That's going to do it for our podcast this week, unless you want me to remind you of the games of gold, which I will do. We got V Rally for the whole month. You can download that. We got Warhammer 40K Inquisitor, which you, which you can get. Uh, from May 16th through June 15th. And on the 360 side, we got Sensible World of Soccer, which you can get until the 15th. And then we've got Overlord 2, which you'll be able to get starting on May 16th through the rest of the month. Those games will, of course, be backwards compatible. But that is it for this week's very long, very exhausting episode of Xbox On. Guys, I appreciate you listening. As always, like I said, please leave me your feedback on what you thought about the Inside Xbox conference. Are you more excited, less excited for what's going to happen with the June announcements and the July announcements? Personally, I just want to know the price of the Series X, and I want to see gameplay of Halo Infinite. Those are the only two things I give a shit about because I need to know how much money I'm going to lose on this thing and when I can fucking, you know, or just what this new Halo game looks like. That's all I care about. But I'm excited to hear what you guys think, if anything at all. Lethal Migraine, please don't be too mad at me. Uh, I respect you and I appreciate your, your feedback and your engagement. But now is not the time for apologies. Now is the time for Eric to play us a lullaby so that I can go to sleep and rest my weary head.